Before I start, I'll tell you, in the 9.30 service, I did have a couple of people come up to me afterwards and they were like, you know, when you said that about this, I really wanted to go, amen, but then I was afraid it would throw you off. You can always amen. It's encouraging, it's good stuff. Awesome, all right. So last week, we started our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And as we journey through this text, we're addressing at least two questions. We're looking at what is the gospel? What is a disciple? As we work through the year, we're gonna look at who are we? And we're even gonna take a look at what are the essentials of our faith? That's like saying, what do we believe? Mark's gospel proclaims the good news that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come near. And this word instructs us to repent, to believe in the good news. Mark's gospel account shows us who Jesus is. And that knowledge, both in our heads and in our hearts, that knowledge equips us, it empowers us to answer these questions. Who is Jesus? What is a disciple? What is the gospel? And it equips us and empowers us then to go out and to share this answer with other people who need to know what is true, what is real, what is good, what is beautiful. Today our passage comes from Mark chapter one. It's verses 21 through 35. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, whatever version you are reading, it is good. It is good. So please, open up your Bible, grab a pew Bible, get your phone out, whatever version you have. And let's hear God's holy word. We're gonna look at one day in the life of our Lord. And All of this activity we're gonna cover happens in one 24-hour period. So listen that you may hear the word of the Lord, Mark 1, 21 through 35. Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. And the people were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Then as soon as Jesus and his companions left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. He came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And then the fever left her 
and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick, who were possessed by demons, and the whole city gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, majestic and mighty, I pray that we see your son in these words today, that we see him in the silence today. I pray, Father, that you write this word upon our hearts, and that you grant us courage and the desire, the absolute compunction to go share this with people who need to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I will share with you that for a time, I had a privilege of being a stay-home mom to Matthew and Benjamin and Elizabeth. Best job on the planet. I would not trade that time for anything. And today, I am very proud of the people that they are, the way that they are thriving. But I gotta tell ya, there were some days that went by so hard and fast from one diaper to another from one throw up to another, from one sibling rivalry to another, and I'm an only child. I would be exhausted at the end of the day using all of my words to tell Mike everything that happened in that one day. It was like, hey, you know, all the children are fed, they're still alive, it's been a day, right? It's that pace, it's that energy, it's that go, go, go. That's how Mark's gospel feels to me. It's suddenly, immediately, and next, and then. It just, it's that, it's that frenetic pace. It just kind of leaves us breathless. And it's the structure of Mark's writing. It moves us rapidly from paragraph to paragraph, enticing us to read on, to see what happens next, to see how it all ends. And along the way, let's be sure to notice. Let's take the time to see the people's surprise increasing at Jesus' power, at Jesus' authority. So here we are in chapter one, verses 21 through 34 are quick and the material challenges us and we will spend time in it. We will look at it. And then the action pauses at verse 35 and we're gonna look at that one verse. Take a little in-depth look at that as well. So in your mind's eye, in your imagination, see Jesus. Let's join him and these four fishermen Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They are journeying on foot to Capernaum. It's a bustling city. It's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And it is the Sabbath. To them it is Shabbat, the Hebrew Shabbat. It's measured from sunset to sunset. 
That was the way they measured their day. This is Sabbath when Jews would exercise their freedom from the labors of life for one day. It was time for them to contemplate spiritual aspects of life. It was time to be with their families. And so Sabbath began on Friday evening and Jesus and his companions now on verse 21, they are on Shabbat day, Sabbath day. That's Saturday to us. So it's first thing in the morning, Jesus and his companions attend the local synagogue. This was the norm, this is what you did. You would stand in this great big building with many, many other Jewish people and you would hear prayers for strength. You would hear praises to the God of Israel. You would listen to Old Testament scriptures and you would listen to the local scribe or the teacher of the law interpreting the passages and he would sit and he would teach the lesson and he would tell the people what God's word meant for them. And like a good rabbi, a good teacher, Jesus enters. He sits down and he speaks. And he teaches unlike anyone they've ever heard before in their lives. His manner of teaching creates astonishment. Like just imagine the people, they're just like looking at one another like, what is this? His speaking affects them in ways that the teaching of their local scribes could never do. Those synagogue uh, scribes, they relied on scripture. They relied on their training and on tradition. But this visitor, oh, He speaks like a prophet relaying the message straight from heaven. He behaves as if he's speaking in God's own name, as one having authority. He speaks like he knows everything about them. Their thoughts, their doubts, their questions, their lives, everything. Mark points out for us that this authority that Jesus has, authority in the original Greek is exousia. Exousia, it means out of the original. Out of the original. Jesus' power came out of the original, like with a capital O. Out of God. Mark doesn't tell us the topic that Jesus teaches. He doesn't tell us what passage he reads. He doesn't tell us how long he talks. None of the stuff that I would love to geek out on. Mark does tell us the astonishment of humankind. Mark does tell us the authority of Jesus' words. Because you see, Jesus speaks about life. Real life with original authority. Nothing that's derived from text or from tradition. He's been there. He understands us and he's real and he's good. Tim Keller writes this. He says, he didn't just clarify something that people already knew or simply interpret scriptures in the way the teacher of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author 
and it left them dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. Then it's while Jesus is speaking in the synagogue that this unclean spirit possessing the man approaches and confronts the Messiah. Now let's talk about this for a minute. This unclean spirit. Some of your texts may have impure spirit, evil spirit, it might say demon. I wanna preface this with a word for spirit. In the Greek, the word is pneuma. Pneuma, that is spirit. The adjective before it is how you describe it, right? So we might say holy, holy spirit, or in this case, you could say unclean, unclean spirit. Either way, it uses the same word for spirit, wind, breath. The difference here for us is the adjective for unclean. In the Greek, this means impure. It means evil. It means a mixture of the wrong thing, tainted by sin. It's a demon, evil in thought, evil in life. So calling him Jesus of Nazareth, the demon accurately pinpoints Jesus' purpose in dealing with evil. He's gonna interfere, he's gonna destroy it. And the spirit knows, remembers, appreciates who Jesus is. Some scholars say that he has prior knowledge of Jesus. He may have even known Jesus in the spiritual realm before this earthly experience. In the synagogue, people are totally astonished, completely amazed. Now as readers, we might be curious, like are they astounded at the unclean spirit recognizing Jesus? Or are they amazed at the way that Jesus authoritatively casts out the demon from the man? And as usual, Mark does not say. However, this time we do get to hear Jesus' words. His command silences the demon and Jesus evicts him from the man. Back in the summer when we were in our uh, time in Ephesus. We were spending time in Ephesians. Chad preached one Sunday about Satan being real, how his power is destructive, how soldiers in his army are demons. In our passage today, the unclean spirit must be removed, even if it's physically challenging for the person involved. And we are modern, sophisticated people. If we read this passage quickly, we might just chalk this behavior up to mental illness. But in all honesty, there is a mystery here. And we're challenged. We're challenged to find the balance between trusting what we understand about the spiritual realm, both good and evil, and what we learn from science and avoiding the use of that silence to simply explain away the mysteries of the Bible. The onus is upon us as believers to embrace the mysteries of God. And in all of that, consider how we address mental illness, how we fight the demons, like say, a demon of addiction, 
how we will clothe ourselves in the armor of God because that spiritual battle is real. The unclean spirit recognizes Jesus in ways that the people in the synagogue do not. They're amazed, they're astounded at Jesus' authority and rightly so. The demon correctly assesses that Jesus will destroy him. The Holy One of God allows for no compromise here. It's the same fashion as Jesus when he overcame Satan and that temptation in the wilderness last week. Now, other people, like the scribes in the synagogues, they can speak on scriptures. Roland, Chad, Mark, and I, we can teach and we can preach based on our calling, based on our education. And other people can evict demons. They can call out evil. But this Jesus, this son of God, personally demonstrates how the power of the gospel frees us. Frees us from sin, frees us from despair that can so easily consume us, frees humankind from bonds that would hold us captive, bonds that we never wanted, bonds that we never imagined would be in our lives. In our passage, their time in the synagogue ends about lunchtime. And our group departs. And they enter into the household of Andrew and Simon, where Andrew's mother-in-law normally would have been preparing a meal at about this time on the Sabbath. However, their hostess is ill with a fever. She is sick in bed. And now in the silence, simply by taking her hand and lifting her up, Jesus heals her with a touch. And now having been served by the Messiah, Simon's mother-in-law, it goes about serving her household. She's now strong enough to bustle about taking care of her guests. Tim Keller explains that this healing shows Jesus' concern for the physical world as well as the spiritual world. Jesus demonstrates real power over sickness in silence, simply by touching her with his hand. This illustration of power will happen over and over in the chapters to come where Jesus' authority extends over every realm of life. Then sundown comes. Sundown marks the end of Shabbat. Sabbath ends so that by evening, people can resume walking about freely, working. And now, oh, the word is all over the countryside. All of Galilee has heard about this man. Such notoriety, so much excitement. People come out to see the divine attraction. And crowds gather in front of the house. Some people are bringing their ill. Some people are bringing the possessed. Some are waiting and watching. 
And ever so briefly, Mark tells us that Jesus heals the sick, casts out the demons, all in that night. And this time, Jesus does not allow the demons to speak. He binds them in a pact of silence because they know him. They can reveal who he really is and notoriety, that can bring about too much attention from the Roman authorities. And fame, fame can create a spectacle instead of a faith. All of the teaching and the healing experiences in verses 21 through 34, like I told you, all of those are important. And yet I wanna point out one verse to you that is incredibly important. Verse 35. It's early in the morning, it's still very dark. And Jesus gets up and he walks away from the house and he finds a solitary, deserted place. It's isolated from everyone. The Greek word for that deserted, solitary, isolated place It's eremos. And eremos is the same word that's used for wilderness. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Jesus faced Satan's temptation in the wilderness. And now Jesus prays alone in the wilderness. So first, let's see it. Likely how it happened This is gonna be a quick video clip on the screens. It'll go by in 30 seconds. So watch and imagine Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. I'm a visual learner, so things like that help me use my imagination to think about Jesus getting up in the dark. He needed a torch to see where he was going and then praying until daylight comes. Jesus slips away from the crowds, from the noise. He avoids any further clamor or excitement. No more pleas and demands for healing. You see, Jesus does not allow the people to distract him from his major work. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the baptism and it empowers the Messiah to keep his heart focused on the basic purpose of why he came, to proclaim the message, the gospel, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. So Jesus withdraws to this solitary place and we can imagine his prayers to God alone with the Father. The Son can resist the attractions of popularity, center himself on God, depend on the Father, remain engaged in his initial commission. In this wilderness, this deserted place, He glorifies his father. 
I imagine maybe he was even singing praises to God. Can you just imagine like Jesus lifting up every name of every person he talked to in the synagogue that morning? Every person that he cast a demon out of, every person that he healed, lifting up to God every name in his prayers, asking that faith be kindled, not only by the miracles that they've just seen, but by real faith in our good and perfect Savior. Outdoors, in God's creation, Jesus begins his prayer time while it's still dark. And hours later, when the household is finally up and about, Simon and Andrew, James and John, scripture tells us, they interrupt Jesus, come. Someone else needs healing. Come heal again. Mark's writing here indicates that this wasn't just a brief arrow prayer, like, God, please help me. And this wasn't something wrote or written or memorized. But this was something special, something intimate with the Father and for a good amount of time. Some days are so hectic. Some days are so stressful that we might not feel like there's time to spend with God. And Well, how do those days go? Those days are usually the ones where we trip over ourselves when we've run off without God. When we're weak against the spiritual battle that's going on around us all the time. When our ears do not hear Jesus' authority, but the spiritual realm does. Even when we, God's very image bearers, are not sensitive to his presence. So I invite you, spend time soaking in prayer with God. I don't care when you do it, just that you do it. I have an example for you. I have a pastor friend who is not a morning guy. And he felt like a failure because he wasn't doing prayers in the morning like he heard everybody else was doing. We pastors do look at what each other does. So he started to realize, I'm a night guy. So instead of watching TV or reading a book at the end of the day, that's his prayer time. That's when he's praying for tomorrow. And do you know he goes to bed and rests well? Having just given over tomorrow to God. This is what I invite you to do, whether it's at the end of your day, if it's at the morning, whenever it works out for you, intentionally prioritize time with God. Jesus needed this time, we do too. We need to be covered for the day. We need to be right with him. We need to be equipped and empowered for the spiritual battle that goes on all around us. Here at First Pres, we have several videos on spiritual formation that are just ready and waiting for you to employ. They're super, super short, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It takes you longer than that to drink your coffee. There are 15 of these on the website to choose from and there's a QR code there. If you just point your phone at it with your camera on, it'll capture the QR code and it can take you straight to this link. You don't have to click on anything else. 
you can get to the spiritual formation videos and I'm counting on you now to watch them. Just try one, okay? Just pick one. One spiritual practice. It's short. Repeat that again tomorrow. Repeat that for a week. Repeat it for one more week, for three weeks total. 21 days makes a habit. Before you know it, you will be in the habit of spending prayer time with God by one of these methods of daily prayer. You'll be praising him. You'll cry out to him. You'll talk to him. But one of these methods could be a practice for you. And look, if, if the one you try, like breath prayer, say you give that one a whirl, that one's not for you, okay. Move on to a different one. Try something else. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and let you know which one might work for you. The Holy Spirit will show you a way to intentionally spend time being nourished by our loving and forgiving God. In those years as a stay-home mom, I can remember those times of feeling alone, those times of wilderness, thinking, well, this is it. This is my college degree at work. I used to wear suits and heels every day. And there would be this time with my kids where I would wear my kids every day. And I know that was my blessing. I know that was my privilege. But just like Mark's gospel, the hopping pace from one need to another, day after day, it can make the days feel long. Like we haven't really accomplished much. But just like the time with my children, oh, the years are short. And these years with Jesus are short. Three years with him the disciples have. That's it. Before you know it, they're gone. Before you know it, he's gone to the cross, physically. Mark uses every brief phrase, every urgent moment, every little story to show us who Jesus is. Yes, he is Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, he's the son of God. He's the healer. He's the holy one of God. He's the miracle worker. Yes, at the same time, Jesus is the one who steps away for time in prayer alone with the Father, modeling for us the importance of pressing pause in our lives to make a priority of prayer. We need intimate time with our Lord. As much as we need to hear and learn scripture, we need to rest in his care. Jesus is king over both, the physical and the spiritual. He is king over our lives. The physical, like Simon's mother-in-law, ill with the fever. The spiritual, like our time in solitary prayer. Let him be the king of your life. Right now, hear Jesus saying to you, come, follow me. Hear him say, follow me because I'm the king you've been looking for. Follow me because I have everything you've 
ever wanted. Follow me because I have the authority over everything. And yet, hear Jesus say, I have humbled myself for you, died on the cross for you, and I bring you the gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Amen.